This song is about a big mosquito. Welcome, listener, to episode 26 of the Antigen Internet Radio Show. My name is Jason, and I'll be your host for the next hour and a half on Ship Full of Bombs, Thames Delta Independent Radio, Southend on Sea's premier internet-only radio station. Let's start with the obligatory trigger warning. This episode contains descriptions of fee-paying Conservative Party members that some listeners may find offensive. If you're a member of the clergy who joined the Antigen Records mailing list after buying a Rev Simpkins album, and have come to this show via a link in one of our regular newsletters, please proceed with caution. Musically, the theme of tonight's show is Swanfest. This week marks the fifth anniversary of the final festival I helped curate with my dear friend Steve Kendall at the Swan Pub in Ipswich. All tracks are from bands that played at Swanfest in 2016 and 2017. We kicked off the show with Itchy, who performed at both events. Itchy, Oichi Shimasaki to his friends is a one-man band from Nagoya in Japan. It's pretty much impossible to describe an itchy live show to someone who's never experienced the life-affirming joy of witnessing it in person. So I won't bother. That track was Goga Gambo about a big mosquito. Welcome, welcome children to the expedition of Rye Scabby. We'll take you on a trip right into his third eye. I'm hearing that the oil's getting rinsed, but my lecky's low, my boiler's on the brink. Check my watch that isn't on a lonely fox that's living wrong, pouring poison in my drink. In the toilet or the sink? Uh, the earth's green, I swear the soil's getting pink. I see the rust and the crust is more boiling than you think. Jumping. 
Yeah, I'm in the bathtub with a floss, but it's getting empty. I wash my face with this mask up. I'm the one to blame for all this stomach pain, but I won't slice myself when I'm half cut. Just listen to the bark from the dark muck, loving the buzz, and I'm drinking coffee from a glass mug. I'm unestablished and wearing my unestablished. Shot me up against the wall, but you're swearing your gun is lavish. Uh, I ain't sharing my love, is damaged. Fuck you, I'm still a little rap. You never see the transformation until it's happened Always trying to turn around so you're living backwards Just another crazy night, you know this shit is madness If it isn't working, better try a different tactic And work harder if you gassed, you burn faster I am your father, sitting jamming with Barfa Lager He's in a trench coat, full of watches that he's shot in With a gang of people standing round watching what he's dropping Take one, take two, take another Wishing I could change the colour of my mood Rick, new kings, not a loose move If you simply hate your lover Blood is thicker than water But I've been forced to name a brother Standing on the mountainside Just to camping out the light In the morning it's raw Tick the box, name the other In the spot I gained another Grazes on my brain from the rubble But the bubble is my saviour In the rain I'm fucked up Chatting waffle cakes to David on the train Dirty buzz enough, I see my name up in the stain But it disappears when my vision's blurry She's asking why I'm whispering just in case the rhythm heard me while I sit in Burberry Cause I can't stand and I can't stand you The last man standing, I'm only ramping if you're gangy Thinking that I ran through the open door Already achieved what you're hoping for Work harder, prick You never see the transformation until it's happened Always trying to turn around and so you're living backwards Just another crazy night, you know this shit is madness If it isn't working, better try a different tactic And work harder, if you gassed, you burn faster I am your father, sitting jamming with Barfa Lager He's in a trench coat, full of watches that he's shot in With a gang of people standing round watching what he's dropping Rise Shabby, and the expedition of the lost soul my mum told me that I should never trust him because he's got really small eyes. Um, he might be a sneak. I'm not quite sure. I, I, can he believe it? Can he, can he believe it? Roll up, roll up, children. Stop now, please. Oh, I found it, I found it. Ipswich rapper Rye Shabby with Trenchcoat from his Arthur Lager album. After last month's episode, in which I regaled listeners with tawdry tales of ministerial behaviour, some of you may have thought, how many more cases of Tory misconduct in public office will it take before someone holds the leadership to account? The answer, as it turns out, was one. The seeds of the Prime Minister's downfall were spilled in Chris Pinch's pants on the 29th of June, when the Conservative MP for Tamworth and Deputy Chief Whip was accused once again of drunkenly groping men's testicles. This time at a Conservative Friends of Cyprus event at the Carlton Club in Piccadilly. Pincher resigned as a whip on the 30th of June, but it turned out he had previous. He'd resigned from the whip's office in 2017 when he was accused of being a pan shop Harvey Weinstein by Conservative activist Alex Storey. It transpired that Boris Johnson had been aware of this and several other allegations of sexual impropriety before promoting him to a position where he would be responsible for party discipline and MPs' welfare. Ironically, part of his role was to deal with reports of sexually inappropriate behaviour. 
Dominic Cummings recalls Boris referring to him as Pincher by name, Pincher by nature, suggesting Pincher was an innocent victim of nominative determinism. For listeners in Southend, that's a theory that implicit egotism attracts us to activities that remind us of ourselves, so our names influence our choices in life. For example, according to my copy of Cassell's Dictionary of Slang, Boris is a generic derogatory term for a Russian, and Johnson is a slang term for penis, first coined in the 19th century. So if you believe in nominative determinism, and you call your child Boris Johnson, you'd expect him to grow up to be a Russian penis. Interestingly, his other middle name, de Peffel, means to uncontrollably ejaculate. So not only does his name literally mean uncontrollably ejaculating Russian penis, you could use his whole name in a sentence, like, put your Boris Johnson away, I'm not letting you de Peffel in my mouth until you've sorted out that £100,000 a year job as your special advisor at the Foreign Office. Anyway, personally, I don't believe in it. I think nominative determinism has been disproved beyond doubt by the existence of Conservative MP for Braintree, James Cleverly.
Libric with Pale Light from their Grey River Lament cassette, which came out in 2015. With Chris Pincher, Conservative MP for Tamworth, safely consigned to the backbenchers, where he would only pose a threat to fellow MPs, common staff and constituents, the only thing left to do was to deny everything. And on the 1st of July, Johnson's team dispatched Number 10's deputy official spokesperson to insist that the Prime Minister was not aware of any allegations against Pincher at the time of promoting him in 2022. A correction was issued later to say Johnson was not aware of any specific allegations against Pincher. Over the weekend, four more allegations emerged in the Sunday papers, including accusations that he had groped two Tory MPs. And a source from the Whip's office revealed that Johnson had been briefed about Pincher's predatory behaviour at the time of his appointment to Deputy Chief Whip. This prompted the Prime Minister to remember a third version of events. He had personally been aware of the allegations against Pincher at the time of his promotion, but, his spokesperson insisted, at the time, these allegations were either resolved or did not proceed to a formal complaint. And, in the absence of any formal complaint, it was not appropriate to stop the appointment on the basis of unsubstantiated allegations. Lord MacDonald remembered it differently and wrote to Catherine Stone, the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards, on the morning of the 5th of July to tell her that Johnson was briefed in person about a complaint against Pincher in 2019. He wrote, The allegations were similar to those made about his behaviour at the Carlton Club and that an investigation upheld the complaint. He continued, The original number 10 line is not true and the modification is still not accurate. Mr Johnson was briefed in person about the initiation and outcome of the investigation. There was a formal complaint. Allegations were resolved only in the sense that an investigation was completed. Mr Pincher was not exonerated. To characterise the allegations as unsubstantiated is therefore wrong. Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab was immediately sacrificed to Susanna Reid on Good Morning Britain for his role in the Pincher investigation in 2019, demonstrating that a human being can survive for 13 and a half minutes after being ritually disemboweled on live TV. And in the Commons, Cabinet Office Minister Michael Ellis was tasked with providing MPs with version 4. The Prime Minister was made aware of the complaint in 2019, but he had forgotten about it and he could not recall exactly why he found the words pincher by name, pincher by nature, so funny at the time. Oh, mother. 
poly preacher, the prodigiously talented Ashley Huron, with my old pal Krista Lynch on bass, performing Jennifer Gentle Fee-Fi No, which was self-released in 2016. By 6pm on Tuesday the 5th of July, it was clear that only an empty apology would make this pincher business go away. The PM gave an interview on Sky News in which he said sorry for employing a serial testicle groper to police Tory MPs' behaviour in a workplace where one in six MPs is under investigation for sexual misconduct. Job done. Time for us to all move on and let the government focus on the priorities of the British people. 6.02pm. The Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, former non-domiciliary tax avoider, Sajid Javid, resigned from the Johnson cabinet for the second time. Javid had suddenly realised on the 5th of July the importance of honesty and integrity in government, and because of this, he could no longer in good conscience remain a minister. 6.11pm. In an unrelated move, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Man of the People and former non-domiciliary tax avoidance beneficiary Rishi Sunak also resigned from the Cabinet. By bedtime for Boris on the 5th of July, 10 members of his government had gone. But he woke up the next morning feeling bullish, backfilling his cabinet from the sediment layer of the Tory talent barrel and dispatching loyal and otherwise unemployable ministers to reassure the nation that we have many more years of moving on to look forward to. On the Tonight programme, Jacob Rees-Mogg compared Johnson to Robert Walpole, who was Prime Minister for over two decades from 1721, saying, I'm going for Walpole. Walpole did 21 years and I'd like to see the Prime Minister do better than Walpole. Personally, I'd like to see him do better than Johan de Witt, the Prime Minister of the Dutch Republic, who also served for two decades until his term of office abruptly came to an end in 1672, when he was killed and eaten by a mob of hungry peasants. Some of you may be thinking, but I don't want Boris Johnson in my mouth. Well, that's why you can't afford to pay Lulu Little £200,000 to chintz up your rented flat with a spalier square wallpaper, a sewn Britain Nureyev drinks trolley, and a range of stylish accessories. Rees Mogg's rallying call for a return to the political stability of the 1720s, when less than 3% of the population was allowed to vote, fell on deaf ears. 57 of his ministerial colleagues resigned and Michael Gove was sacked. The Johnson government had lost just under half of its paid staff, and the situation was so dire that even Keir Starmer managed to get in a few zingers. Doesn't that just sum him up? Awful behaviour, unacceptable in any walk of life. It's there for all to see, but he ignores it. It was the same when his ally was on the take from the lobbyists. It was the same when his Home Secretary was bullying staff. It was the same when taxpayers' money was being abused, and it was the same when he and his mates parted their way through lockdown. Anyone quitting now, after defending all that, hasn't got a shred of integrity. Mr Speaker, isn't this the first recorded case of the sinking ships fleeing the rats?
Cathedrals and Cars, where the peace of me died in Europe. Critics of the government were clamouring for Boris's exit, or Brexit as I like to call it, to avoid confusion. And on the afternoon of the 7th of July, Boris Johnson emerged from number 10 to deliver what we had to guess was his resignation speech, because he did not at any stage mention he was resigning. And at the end of the speech, he still appeared to be there. There was no apology or admission of culpability. Instead, he blamed the herd instinct of his own party and the Darwinian nature of party politics. Although if Boris is the apex of political evolution, it's easy to see why Steve Baker became a born-again Christian. It turned out he had resigned as party leader but opted to retain his 75 grand ministerial salary as a caretaker prime minister until September. Many wanted to get Brexit done, Regardless of the financial consequences, these Brexiteers were concerned about the calamities that might ensue if Boris remained in charge for the next three months. They needn't have worried, as Johnson went demob happy, ending his premiership the way it had started, by bunking off two Cobra meetings, parting at Chequers, and enjoying the perks of being PM, with a Top Gun experience at RAF Coningsbury. I had mixed feelings about his departure. On one hand, I was sad. I wanted him to stay, so the Conservative Party remained completely unelectable. On the other hand, I was sad, and I wanted him to stay because he provides an inexhaustible supply of content for the show. Imagine trying to write a political current affairs programme with Keir Starmer as Prime Minister. As Smeargate proved, the most interesting thing about him was entirely made up by the Daily Mail but at least Boris, as a backbencher, will be able to devote more time to the interests of his constituents in Uxbridge and South Ryslip. The country's loss is Uxbridge and South Ryslip's loss. 
Fishclaw from Essex with Boreal Grid, which featured on the Swanfest 2016 compilation and later on the Black Crow White Crow album. Fishclaw were the only artists at Swanfest to attract a noise complaint from Ipswich Borough Council. With Boris gone but still here, it was time to select a new PM. Thankfully, just as it was in 1742, when Robert Walpole left office after a motion of no confidence triggered in part by allegations that he had presided over a massive increase in corruption, the democratic will of the people would play no part in the election of the new Prime Minister. For the benefit of listeners from abroad, and people with hashtag Bring Back Boris and a tiny flag in their Twitter profile, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is appointed by the old Queen through the exercise of the royal prerogative. The appointee must command the confidence of the House of Commons, which usually means they are the leader of the party that holds a majority. To become the leader of the party, an MP must announce their candidacy, secure enough nominations from fellow MPs, survive a series of elimination votes by those MPs, and then, if they make the final two, face a ballot when 160,000 Conservative Party members across the country vote to elect the new leader. And, if the old Queen agrees, the winner will become Prime Minister. Conservative backbencher Mark Jenkinson best illustrated the process by announcing his candidacy as a joke on the 8th of July. He wrote on Twitter that he had, quotes, sought counsel from those I can trust to blow smoke up my ass." That, when weighed against my own inflated sense of self-importance, leads me to conclude that I should throw my hat into the ring and stand for election as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Over the next six weeks, I will be available to promise you the moon on a stick. Ask, and it shall be yours. Several MPs, lacking Jenkinson's self-awareness, flattered themselves that announcing their candidacy might be anything other than an exercise in very public humiliation. Born-again Christian and libertarian Brexpest Steve Baker. I said Brexpest. I'm not calling them Brexiteers anymore. I don't want to confuse listeners who think I'm referring to Brexiteers people who think leave means leave, and want Boris out of the office immediately. Steve Baker, chair of the European Research Group and the man who'd been operating Boris since 2019 like a malignant Geppetto, told the media on the 6th of July that he owed it to his supporters to consider a leadership bid. Enough experience within government to know I can chair the meetings, I can lead the people, I have the ideas, I can mobilise secretaries of state to do what needs to be done. I'm absolutely confident if I seized power, I'd do a good job. Steve Baker, Conservative MP for Wickham, forgetting the first rule of politics. Never announce you plan to seize power before securing the support of the military. After that Freudian slip, he withdrew his candidacy, telling reporters he had to make sure there were enough biscuits for his next AGM. Pretty Patel made a pitch to the ERG on the 11th of July, parading her credentials as an authentic Brexiteer prepared to rip up the Northern Ireland Protocol, cut taxes, ditch green levies and start fracking. They presumably told her that half the country hates her for sending refugees to Rwanda and the other half hates her for not sending refugees to Rwanda. She elected not to put herself forward for the job. Celebrity ostrich anus eater for cash, which she failed to declare, Nadine Doris, also announced she was planning to throw her hat into the Conservative leadership bin fire. Whereas other candidates seemed keen to flush away the memory of Johnson and launder the depeffle-stained reputation of the Conservative brand, Mad Nads read the room and decided the country wanted more of the same. A source told Mail Online, Nadine is seriously considering throwing her hat in the ring. 
as she is passionate about defending Brexit and fighting woke culture. She wants to keep Boris's flame alive. Because if there's one thing this country needs in a heatwave, it's someone promising to light Boris Johnson's political bum farts. A gonads campaign began to trend on Twitter, picking up strong cross-party support from Labour, the Lib Dems and the SNP. But sadly, Doris had already committed herself to the Christmas run of Jim Davidson's Boobs in the Wood at the Cliffs Pavilion in Southend-on-Sea. Swanfest veterans, the mighty Rad Pit, with Old Rope, the opening track from their self-titled debut album, which came out in 2015. Eleven Conservative MPs had announced their candidacy by the 12th of July deadline, but Grant Shapps, Remen Chishti and Savid Javid all pulled out, having failed to secure the 20 nominations required to advance to the next stage. This left eight aspiring leaders facing the first elimination vote on Wednesday the 13th of July. The international media praised the diversity of the field, noting that half the nominees were, quotes, people of colour, half were women, and all of them were under the average age of the Conservative Party membership. It would be interesting to see how a person under 60 with brown skin would go about gaining the confidence of Conservative Party members, 97% of whom are white, and 100% of whom are cunts. But before we could find out, the nominees first had to appeal to the better nature of their colleagues in the House and survive a series of secret ballots. 358 Conservative MPs would whittle down the list and present party members with a final choice of two candidates. 
With one in six MPs under investigation for sexual misconduct in the workplace, that meant approximately 60 uncaught sex offenders would be involved in the shortlisting process for the next Prime Minister. With that in mind, would any of the nominees prioritise remedying the government's appalling record on bringing rapists to justice? Spoiler warning, they wouldn't. When the candidates made their pitches, it became clear that the much-lauded diversity was only skin deep. Naturally, they were all pro-Brexit, with Penny Morden loving it so much she wanted to do it all over again and get Brexit redone. All were firmly in favour of unlawfully trafficking refugees to Rwanda, with Truss wanting to expand the plan to Turkey, a country that loves refugees so much they have more of them than any other country in the world. And all, bar Rishi, were ready to butter up party members with promises of immediate tax cuts. But in their defence, they weren't trying to appeal to normal members of the public. I'm surprised they didn't offer an amnesty on corruption, free knighthoods, and a twofer on happy endings at the local sauna. In the paving I tread Double or quits Too brave to collect For English Please my love But leave the bangers to me I'll have bacon and egg Make my tea last Till the papers are red Spent all week working Making my bread Payday today So I'll start on the high By the evening It's making its way to the red Don't feel like a million dollars This is England It's more like a million pounds We stand out Like we didn't fit in the crowd Knocked down Dug deep now I'm winning the round of it Brought up by a beautiful country They taught us not to Give a monkeys I might feel blessed And I'm dressed in my best Yes even if it ain't a Sunday
Oi oi, Franco Freeze. One of Steve's picks for the Swanfest 10th anniversary weekend in 2017. Uh, not my usual bag, but he was bloody good live. <coughs> On the 13th of July, Nadim Zahawi and Jeremy Hunt were eliminated in the first round of voting and therefore do not merit a mention on this show, leaving six to progress to round two. Attorney General Suella Braverman QC shared her grand vision of Britain's future. The Braverman New World would be a nation state free from the human rights that currently hamper our international competitiveness. She said on the 15th of July, I'm afraid the only solution to this problem if we want to be honest with the British people on delivering Brexit and taking back control of our borders, is we need to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. Under Braverman, Britain would join her party's Russian paymasters and Belarus as the only three countries who feel unable to operate under conventions guaranteeing freedom of thought and expression, the right to a fair trial and protection from state-sanctioned torture and forcible enslavement. I wrote a massive piece on this but then she got knocked out in the second round. If I make a compilation of outtakes about political losers, she'll be in it. Poor old Tom Tuggenhat was next to go. His pitch appeared to involve obsessively repeating the words clean start over and over, like he'd been soiled by contact with the Johnson government and the experience had left him with post-traumatic OCD. Kemi Badenoch fared better, She'd impress the lunatic fringe of the party with her anti-woke, anti-immigration, anti-education, small state tax-cutting agenda and her plan to abandon the government's already half-assed commitment to net zero. Describing herself as, for all intents and purposes, a first-generation immigrant in a maiden speech to the Commons, she blamed immigrants for the UK's housing problems. Her views were so popular with failed far-right political party Britain First that its leader Paul Golding issued a statement on the 18th of July, officially endorsing her as their anti-woke candidate of choice. He urged all members who had infiltrated the Conservative Party in the run-up to the 2019 leadership contest to support her. Polls suggested Kemi Badenoch was hot favourite to beat Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss or Penny Morden if it went to a head-to-head -head ballot of party members. Because of this, she was quickly manipulated out of the competition by tactical vote-sharing shenanigans. This left the two establishment figures and Penny Mordant. Penny Mordant had opted to open her leadership bid with a curious comedy mashup of Rick Mayle as Alan Bastard and the day-to-day. -day. She released a video encapsulating everything her marketing team felt embodied the great British spirit with a solemn voiceover sincerely espousing the values of freedom, fairness, courage and compassion. Johnny Peacock, Dame Sarah Gilbert, Joe Cox, a heroic armed forces in which Mordant served as a reservist, and brave Oscar Pistorius, born with no feet in South Africa, who didn't let that stop him from murdering his girlfriend. Of course, it turns out you can't put any of those things in a video about how great it would be if Penny Mordaunt were Prime Minister without cancel culture coming along and telling you you've got to take it all out in case it upsets a vegetarian. When all that inspirational stuff was edited out, it left a five-minute video of a family stuck in a traffic jam in front of a food bank with its roof on fire. Multi-millionaire man of the people, Rishi Sunak, 
launched his campaign with a slick video asking us if we were ready for Rishi. It did not change my opinion of him, which you can hear if you stream or download episode 23 of the Antigen Internet Radio Show from the Shipful of Bombs Podbean player. I have nothing to add. No canto porque me encantó, ni por la gracia que tengo. Canto por disimular una penita que tengo. Ahora, ahora la traigo yo. Piensas que porque soy pobre ya me tienes en la mano. Muchas perras tiene un puerto y no sale de marrano. Ahora, ahora la traigo yo. No canto porque bien canto, ni por la gracia que tengo. Canto por disimular una penita que tengo. Ahora, ahora. La traigo yo La carta de mi moreno Ayer tarde la perdía Ahora me muero de pena Llorando, llorando Me quedé No canto porque bien canto por la gracia que tengo, canto por disimular una penita que tengo. Ahora, ahora la traigo yo. Cásate conmigo, Juan. Sabes que soy buena moza. Cada día y lo unido. Cada mes una mazorca, ahora, ahora, la traigo yo. Thank you. Thank you very much. On the Spoons, Seth, or Christian Fernandez Moron, from Madrid performing live at Swanfest in 2016. That was Canto de Ila, or Song of Sewing, a song that was originally recorded by Alan Lomax in Leon in northwest Spain during a field recording trip in the 1950s. Later popularised by Nathaniel Mann of Dedra Orchestra, who performed it to modern audiences, accompanying himself with a rusty meat cleaver and a wooden log. Like most people, I get a lot of spam. Yes, it's the observational comedy bit. Don't you just hate it when you've got electronic mail in your inbox and you think for a brief moment that on a planet of 7.7 billion people you matter enough to just one of those people that they want to send you an electronic message. And then you get excited when it turns out to be from an uninhibited and adventurous young woman who's writing to tell you about her insatiable appetite for sex with older men. Someone who actually prefers old balding men to buff energetic guys of her own age who still have their own hair and teeth. 
And even better, she doesn't want any ties. Just sex with a bald old man and no commitments. And then Hotmail puts it in the junk folder where you might miss it. Or it used to. I don't get these emails anymore. Now I'm 53. It's obvious to the algorithms analysing my internet usage that I would not have the energy for that kind of thing. The only thing I would be interested in is paying for my own funeral plan in instalments. Your chance to find out more about a fuss-free cremation plan that makes it easier for your family and could save you £2,170. I have finally reached phishing scam obsolescence, where marketing departments in the world of international spam have realised the only thing I would find attractive is a discount on my own death. But the joke's on them. I already have a cremation plan. I've joined the Conservative Party and I'm voting Liz Truss for PM. With her enthusiasm for tanks and her rudimentary understanding of international diplomacy, we can all look forward to being cremated for free in a fiery nuclear apocalypse. She, she built back from the shoreline Waves slip and combine They hold you under by your fingers and toes
Gaffer Tape Sandy with Lapel David, the B-side of their first single, Smart Dress Guy, which came out in 2016, and you can find appended to the Antigen Records edition of their Spring Killing mini-album. Lapel David, or The Call of the Void, describes the compelling feeling one might have to jump from the top of a cliff or a tall building after watching Liz Truss on a Tory leadership debate. Truss is a woman who couldn't even negotiate the exit from her own leadership announcement press conference. So it came as no surprise to discover some of the post-Brexit deals she bragged about during her time as International Trade Secretary have left even our trading partners puzzled. Here's what the media in New Zealand had to say about the UK-New Zealand Free Trade Agreement that was signed on the 28th of February. British farmers have reacted with shock to the terms of a new free trade deal with New Zealand. The deal will see kiwi meat imported without tariffs and farmers in the UK say they get nothing in return. As Europe correspondent Lisette Raymer reports, they fear it will change their businesses dramatically. A world away from rejoicing Kiwi farmers, their welly-wearing counterparts feel as though they are the sacrificial lambs of the free trade deal. We're not competing on a level playing field. The UK's less intensive approach to farming means their offerings could quickly be outpriced and outstocked by New Zealand's once tariffs are removed. For a lot of people, it is all about price. So when you are at the shelf and you've got one leg at this price, one leg at another price, um, people have got to make those decisions. The freshly inked FTA will see the quota of tariff-free lamb exported to the UK increase sharply over the next 15 years. And after that, it's a complete free-for-all. While the deal is expected to boost New Zealand's GDP by $970 million, or around 0.3%, the impact on Britain's economy is expected to be negligible. Trust somehow navigated herself into the last two of the leadership race, by default, as factions weeded out threat candidates who were polling well with party members. This was fortunate, as in the two debates, she displayed the charisma, acuity and critical focus of a House of Wax Margaret Thatcher, presumably hoping the bow, blouse and navy suit combo alone would resonate subliminally with elderly members who'd last felt the faint throb of a semi watching Thatcher's turkey neck wobble on the podium at the Brighton Conference in 1980. Even I don't want to imagine that. She may fancy herself as the new Mags, but she came across more like an unconvincing stunt double who'd been thrown out of a car and landed on her head. Which may explain why, on the 20th of July, she celebrated making the final two by tweeting, I'm ready to hit the ground from day one. Hashtag Liz for leader. Forever like a plastic flower My love lasts less than half of half an hour That's all you're getting, girl That's all you're getting, girl That's all you're getting, girl
sweaty behemoth rock from Manning Tree's biggest band, if measured by weight and girth. Uh, the Peerless Stingus Khan. That was My Love Lasts Forever Like a Plastic Flower from the Antigen EP of the same name. Those who praised the diversity of the nominees probably noted that the internal machinations of the party had removed the wild cards and ensured that the two remaining candidates were mainstream establishment figures. Both educated at Oxford, like 11 of the last 14 British Prime Ministers, and both cabinet ministers in the failed Johnson government. Now, it's up to the 160,000 paid-up members of the Conservative Party, representing less than 0.3% of the UK population, to select the new Prime Minister. Which puts both candidates in an invidious position. Both will have one eye on the next general election, and their appeal to the broader electorate, but that won't help them become Prime Minister in September. For that, they'll have to abandon any notion of common sense and try to appeal to a swivel-eyed lunatic minority who look back on the last 12 years of Conservative governance and see recorded crime at a 20-year high with only 5.6% of reported offences leading to a charge or summons. The highest tax burden in 70 years but public services at breaking point. 37 billion spunked on test and trace but 183,000 Covid deaths. Parties for the PM lockdowns for the rest of us, more food banks than McDonald's, and a country projected to have the 19th fastest growing economy in the G20. Just above Russia, proving Brexit is only marginally less damaging than international sanctions. And that same swivel-eyed lunatic minority still thinks, I may not be entirely happy with that, but just imagine how much worse it would be if Jeremy Corbyn had become Prime Minister. With his jam-making and allotments, we'd be an international laughingstock. Here's my 25 quid, take my 25 quid, take my... How low will Rishi and Liz have to go to appeal to this kind of person? Have we already reached the end of the race to the bottom? Has either of the two remaining candidates found the lowest common denominator that unites all Tory party members? The essence of pure conservatism that will attract the majority of the 160,000 fully paid up members of the party to make them the new Prime Minister of the UK? I guess we'll find out on the 5th of September. Been a hero, carried the whole show, shone like a star. Now it's time for your curtain call. Take a bow for all you are. Will the world cope without you? Suppose that we'll have to. Now you're not there.
John Callahan with It's the End But, which almost brings the show to an end, apart from one final story I saw in the news on the 11th of July. Olympic gold medalist Sir Mo Farah revealed to the BBC that he was trafficked to the UK as a child, given a new name and forced to work as a domestic servant. He explained that after being rescued from servitude and placed in foster care, his school helped him apply for British citizenship in the name he was trafficked under, and that his birth name is Hussein Abdikaheen. Kathy Gynjell, editor of The Conservative Woman, had a hot first take for Twitter, tweeting, This smells very odd, and surely the Cabinet Office Honours Committee is going to have to re-examine how and why it gave this athlete a knighthood. Did it do so under false pretenses? Turns out, Samo had deceived us all. Not by becoming the most successful British track athlete in modern Olympic history, but by doing so under a name given to him by the people who made him into a slave. I wasn't sure if Cathy Gynjell was suggesting the Honours Committee strip him of his knighthood to teach other slaves a lesson, or whether she wanted us to send his four Olympic gold medals to Somalia, where they belong. And who is this Cathy Gynjell anyway? Is Gynjell even her real name? It sounds like something you'd see in a chemist for treating a yeast infection. I hope she wasn't trafficked to the UK as a child and given a false name from a tube of thrush cream. But I suppose the real question is, does this Cathy Gynjell, the editor of The Conservative Woman, personify the essence of true conservatism that Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss must imbibe in order to convince the 160,000 party members to choose them to lead the country. This Cathy Gynjell, who like James Cleverly, MP for Braintree, has rejected nominative determinism and set out on a mission to embody the exact opposite purpose of the name given to her at birth from that tube of cream. A mission to inflame already irritable cunts. Good night.